Well, good morning, church. I don't know about you, but we have already had church so far. Man, that worship was fantastic. Can you put it up for the worship team this morning? Well, it is the second week of Advent, and I want to talk to you, obviously, about the topic of joy. And I don't want to talk just about any type of joy, but I want to specifically focus in on the joy that comes from being in the kingdom of God. When you are born again, saved, redeemed, put your faith in Jesus, whatever you want to call your salvation experience, there is a new type of joy that floods your soul that is previously unaccessible prior to knowing Christ. And so that's the joy I want to talk about. And as I was preparing my message this week, I could not think of a better, more fitting glimpse of the type of joy that a Christian has other than that. Just this internal excitement, this internal uh, giddiness. You know, it's, the thing about him is he is a full-grown man that is acting like a child. Yeah, come on. But we're chi children of the kingdom. And so there is a joy that is a part of being a child of the kingdom of God. It's an excitement. It is just a passion. It overflows. And I don't know if you noticed, but he, he, he's like, I know him. I, I know him. Well, guess what? We know the God of the universe. And so if Buddy the Elf can be excited about Santa, how much more? Then the fact that you and I, if you put your faith in Jesus, you know the God who created the world. That brings joy. And so there is a joy in the kingdom of God that is unique and exceeds all the joy that you can experience anywhere else. The Bible talks about this joy in Romans 14, verse 17. Paul says this, he says, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. Now that's a reference. The context of this passage is it's about rule keeping and traditions and formulas and man-made things. And so he says the kingdom of God is not about rule keeping and man-made traditions. No, it is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And it goes on to say this in verse 18. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by man. I love the, the message translation. It says it this way, this paraphrase, it says, God's kingdom isn't a matter of what you put in your stomach, for goodness sake. It's what, oh, I love this. It's what God does with your life as he sets it right, puts it together, and then completes it with joy. Yes. Completes it with joy. There's three things from this passage of scripture that I want to talk about on the topic of joy. The first is this, that scripture indicates to us that if you are a follower of Jesus, God provides and produces the joy in you. It's not your work, it's his work. God provides it and produces it. The message translation said that it is God who completes the joy, who completes the joy. Uh, how many of you uh, have been to Target before? Anybody been to Target? Anybody been to Hobby Lobby? Anybody been to Bed Bath & Beyond? Rest in peace on 256, no longer there. But you still get the 20% uh, coupon in the mail and you're like, where do I go? Like, where's it at? 
You can walk the aisles of Target, Hobby Lobby, Bed Bath & Beyond, all these places, and you can see these super cute picture frames that say phrases like, choose joy. Anybody ever seen anything like that? If you've never seen it, that's fine. Go on Google and put in choose joy and then click shopping. And you will see all sorts of frames and things that are just, you know, so that you can put it up on your walls, you can put it on your mantle. And it's this cute phrase, and I think it's cute. Choose joy. But can I be honest with you? Buying a picture that has the words choose joy on it is not going to make me more joyful. All it's going to do is remind me in moments when I don't have joy that I actually need it. But the scripture says it is God who completes the joy. That means joy is not something that we have to choose. It is something that God is completing in me. He provides the joy and he produces it. The truth is, is this, that trying to choose joy is an exercise of futility. It really is. Let me, let me give you an example. I'll never forget. I was going through a hard time. And by the way, um, a lot of times Christians are perfect about saying quips and quotes that sound good, that really have no practical application. And so I was going through a hard time, and I was just like confiding in a friend, confiding in a brother. And I'm saying, you know, I'm going through this and I'm going through that. And he, he looks at me. He says, you know what you need to do, brother? I was like, what? He said, just be happy. Just be happy. You ever, have, you ever have someone give you advice that you don't even know how to apply? And it was the thing that made it worse is it was like his mic drop moment. He was like, just be happy. And I'm like, still standing there with no hope. Because I'm like, that sounds really cool. That would be awesome on a picture frame on a wall. But how do I apply that in my life? You can't choose joy. You can't just be happy. You can't manufacture and just conjure it up. It's like, it's not like you plug your phone into a happiness thing in the wall and you charge yourself with happiness. It really isn't. You can't just choose joy. See, it's an exercise of futility to do that. Pastor Judah Smith, he writes a book called Jesus Is, and this is what he says. He says, trying to find or choose joy of the soul by grasping at the little pleasures of life is like trying to build a sandcastle in an inch of water. The harder you work and faster you scramble, the more things cave in around you. But when your joy is found in Jesus first, you will find joy in everything else. Man, that is so good. Because I don't know about you, but in the moments in my life where, jo where Jesus has been primary, he's been preeminent, he's been my fo focus, I have a joy that overflows into everything. I can see the sun shining on a cloudy day. I can have optimism and expectancy and be excited about life even when things aren't going, going the right way. I will never forget a time when I was like young and I had this experience with God. His love was overflowing my life. It was the season of my life. And I'll never forget being at a friend's house at a 1983 Camaro. How many of you are car, just car fans? You would have loved the way my car looked, but the engine didn't match. It was the V6 Camaro. I went zero to 60 in 12 minutes. <laughs> I'd get on the freeway and I'd be like, 
just give me time. It was like, it was like when the World Wide Web just opened, and it's that ear, ear, now you can just click on, that was, what, that was my Camaro. And I'll never forget, I, I loved this car. I loved it. But Jesus was first. And I remember I was at a friend's house and I backed out of his driveway and literally scraped and dented the whole rear right fender. Now, if Jesus wasn't first, that would have ruined my week or month. But I remember getting out of my car, seeing this huge, massive dent in my right fender and laughing. Why? Because when Jesus is first, you find joy in everything. It was not even a big deal. I'm just like, well, and I got back in my car and just drove away. Because when Jesus is first, when you have the joy of Jesus, it overflows, like the song sang, an overflowing well into all of the other areas of my life. See, when you have the joy that Jesus gives, you will find joy in everything and anything because you aren't learning, leaning on people, places, and products to produce joy in you. You have a joy from an eternal source with an unlimited supply of joy to give you. How many of you are thankful this morning that if you have put your faith in Jesus and you are born again, you don't have to manufacture or conjure up joy? Listen, joy, if it's not organic, it's just fake and people can see it. Just be happy. <sighs> It's just fake. It's got to come from something real. God has provided joy for you, and he's producing a joy on the inside of you that is he, he is in the process of completing. And listen to me. Hold on to the truth that even when you don't feel it, he is still working. See, some people in a room, they're like, I don't have joy right now. He's behind the scenes working, even if you don't feel it, because that scripture promised that he is completing joy on the inside of you. If you, in Jesus, listen, you don't choose joy, the king of joy chooses you. In Jesus, we are never lacking joy. We have joy on reserve. And can I tell you something? You may look at Pastor Dwight and be like, joy is a personality trait. No, it's not. Not in the kingdom, because joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit's not a personality trait. The Holy Spirit is available and accessible to everybody. Therefore, you can have joy even if you don't, you're not that joyful person. Amen. How does God, how do people see any sort of transformation in you if the Holy Spirit's work is confined to your personality traits? If he was confined to personality traits, I wouldn't be up here. <laughs> we are never lacking joy. If we don't have joy, it's not because it isn't available. It's just because we haven't gone back to the source and drawn from the well. If you're a Christian and you don't have joy, it's like holding an empty cup next to a water cooler and complaining you don't have water. Come on. Turn! Joy is readily available to be dispensed to you. Come it's on. God who completes the joy. Number two from this passage, Romans 14, 17. Our Christian experience is incomplete without joy in it. You may have righteousness, you may have peace, you may have hope, but if you don't have joy, your Christian experience is incomplete. Because he said the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. 
To be joyful is to become more like Jesus. I want you to think about that and consider that as a, as a, a primary thing that if you want to be like Jesus, you become more joyful. To be a Christian who does not believe that joy has a place in your relationship with God, you have to believe in a joyless Jesus. <laughs> Let me just, I'm just going to, I'm just going to say it. Y'all ever see uh, Jesus of Nazareth back in the, back in the day? You got to believe in that Jesus. All, y'all upset? Y'all got the copy of the VHS at, how, at the house? <laughs> I remember that Jesus of Nazareth vi- movie being so intense. It's like he was always. It's like, whoa, that's not a joy. That's not a joyful Jesus. And I think the reality is in our culture, we have personifications of Jesus that don't have any joy. Which is why everybody loves the chosen. Because Jesus has a sense of humor. Jesus is in a good mood. Before he came to the world, the lamb was slain, he knew the cross was coming, and he had joy set before him. From his beginning to his end, there was joy. And the only time that he was in a bad mood was when he had to deal with religious people that wanted to mess everything up. Jesus had joy. If you're going to become more like Jesus, joy has to be a part of your life. Jesus and joy are a package deal. You cannot separate joy from Jesus and Jesus from joy. Hebrews 1.9 declares this. Listen to the scripture. It says that God anointed Jesus with the oil of joy. That means that joy is anointed. The oil of joy and his joy exceeded all of his companions. Jesus was one-upping every positive person on the planet. I got more joy than you. Exceeded all of his companions. And here's the real reason why I know Jesus had joy. Sinners wanted to hang out with him and kids flocked to him. Kids are the most honest people on the planet. Trust me. When the 10, the Christmas season 10 pounds add on, my kids are the first ones to tell me. Oh, dad, you've been eating. Kids don't like grumpy people. But the disciples had to fight to keep kids away from Jesus. If Jesus had no joy, they would want nothing to do with him. And sinners wanted to hang out with Jesus. How crazy is that? That word is not like a word of condemnation in Scripture. That's literally that in the New Testament narrative of Jewish culture, these people were walking around like, yeah, I'm a sinner. They were wearing it as a badge of honor. Like, I'm a professional, trifling person. Yep, I'm a prostitute. Yep, I'm a pimp. Yep, I'm a drug lord. Yep, that's my job, my full time. Sometimes I get flex time with that. I get to choose my own schedule. And these are the people that loved to be with Jesus, probably because there was a joy in him that was so attractive that they could not keep themselves away from him because they wanted it, and they didn't know where to get it. Jesus had joy. See, our Christian experience is incomplete without joy. Billy Sunday said this, if you have no joy, then there is a leak in your Christian experience somewhere. 
If you're lacking joy this morning, I want to encourage you to change your thoughts about who you believe God to be, who you believe Jesus to be, about your relationship with him, because if there is no joy, there's a leak somewhere. Can I tell you something? Everything that all of the anger and all of the, the wrath that God had towards humanity because of their sin, he poured out in his son. Jesus and God are in good moods right now. They're not angry. They are in good moods because the work was done. And the Holy Spirit's not in a bad mood either. It would be inconsistent with the Trinity for God and Jesus to be in a great mood and the Holy Spirit to just walk around angry. They're all in good moods because what needed to be done was done. When Jesus said, it is finished, all of the wrath and all the anger, all of the fury towards sin was poured out on the Son. They're in good moods now. And that's why it's good news. Yes. <laughs> and the only reason why we package the good news as bad news is because we're religious and we're humans. And honestly, the good news is way too good for us to wrap our heads around, so we have to ruin it by putting some bad stuff in it. Have you believed in a Jesus that has no joy? Then ask the Holy Spirit to fill you with a new revelation of Jesus. Joy is not just an essential ingredient because without it, our Christian experience is incomplete. Listen, it's also an essential ingredient because without it, we're weak. We talked about it. Nehemiah 8.10 says, The joy of the Lord is our strength. There is a strength that empowers you to endure and persevere when you have joy. Hardships aren't as hard when you go through joy. We sang about it. Pressed, I'm trading my sorrows. Pressed but not crushed. Persecuted but not uh, abandoned. Struck down but not destroyed. Those were literal words that Paul was describing of his experience. And I always see that scripture as people looking at Paul's experience. And the first adjective is how they would define him. But the second adjective was his response. You think I'm pressed? I'm not really even crushed. You think I'm struck down? I'm not destroyed. You think I'm persecuted? Well, guess what? I'm not abandoned because he never leaves me or forsakes me. It was a reality to Paul. And that sparks joy. Forget Marie Kondo. She she have a second season renewed on Netflix. Because all that reductionist, minimalist, I got to get rid of all my stuff so I can have more joy, it only is temporary. Right. It's not eternal. That may work for a little bit, and then you go on to something else. I'll never forget being in Mexico in uh, 2009, and this was a unique mission trip. It was more of a service-oriented mission trip, and we showed up, you remember, we showed up at this orphanage, and we had a drama that we were prepared, and we were going to do the orphanage, but then they had a whole bunch of service projects that they wanted us to do at the orphanage, and one of them was fantastic. All you guys would have definitely, if you knew this one, everybody would have signed up for it. This was the job. Go down half a mile, and you see that whole stack of cinder blocks, load them into a truck, drive them back to the orphanage. Oh, and then when you get to the orphanage, I want you to climb up four sets of stairs with the cinder blocks, and then I want you to put them on the roof. Y'all would have been like, I was in my prayer closet, and um, I just, I don't feel the Lord on that. I don't feel him inspiring me to do that. But you know what? 
it was so fun because of the fellowship of joy around us. We were cracking up, making jokes. Back at that time, there was a, a guy with us. His name was, um, oh man, uh, Chase. And there was a movie with Will Smith that had just came out called Hancock. <laughs> and Chase was a big dude. And he was carrying like six cinder blocks up these flights of stairs, four stories, 40 feet. And they were like, Hancock. <laughs> the whole time, right? They called him Hancock the whole time. They're like, you Hancock. But listen, it was on the ladder, cinder blocks on the ladder. And this was not, this was not a Lowe's ladder. This was a bamboo ladder with some twine. And you're carrying, you're carrying cinder blocks up the ladder, and that's after going up four stories. But you could do it all because we had joy. Joy can make you endure anything. Hannah, Hannah Whitehall Smith said, where the soul is full of joy, outward surroundings and circumstances are of comparative, comparatively little account. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. Listen, in, listen to this quote by a third century man who was anticipating death. These were his last words. It's a bad world, an incredibly bad world, but I have discovered in the midst of it a quiet and holy people who have learned a great secret. They have found a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of our sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. They are, he calls them masters of their souls. They have overcome the world. These people are the Christians, and I am one of them. Hallelujah. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The word joy in Romans 14, 17 is the Greek word Cairo, and this is what it says. It, it means this, and I love the last one, to rejoice to be glad, and this is the one that stuck up out, out the most, to thrive. You're just surviving without joy. You are thriving when you have joy in your life. Without joy, we're just surviving, not thriving. Number three, this is the third part to Romans 14, 17. Our joy pleases God and is attractive to people when they see it in you. Scripture affirms this, going back to verse 17, or verse 18 of Romans. Uh, verse starting in verse 17, for he, uh, I'm sorry, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And this is interesting because Paul actually says, when you have righteousness, when you have peace, and when you walk in joy, it's actually a way that you serve God. He goes on in verse 18, for he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Approved by men. Going back to that book that I talked to you about, uh, Jesus Is by Judah Smith, he says, one of the greatest indictments against Christian, Christians is not sin or our hypocrisy, it's our lack of joy. Something is wrong when, he, when we call ourselves Christians, but we can barely crack a smile. And here's one of the major reasons why we lack joy. Some people take themselves too seriously. Some people take their past too seriously. Some people take their present too seriously. And some people take their future too seriously. Joy is the gospel. Joy is central. Joy is imperative. Lighten your load. I think if Jesus was in the room, he'd be like, relax. And he'd be walking around with a trank dart. Because some of y'all, he'd be like, <laughs> you'd be in the middle of worship like, the Lord just hit me. It was his trank dart getting you to relax. <laughs> Calm down. Stop taking yourself so serious. 
I need to say this out loud because I'm a mild perfectionist. I used to, y'all, I used to rewrite my sermons because I didn't like the way it looked on the paper. And I wasn't confident in preaching it until it looked right on the paper. That's a little extreme. But if you're a perfectionist, you know what I'm talking about. And, yeah, until I saw the post-it, that was a circle. It was not even step one, scripture. Step two, it was like, it was like a web. And I just asked them one day, I said, how do you, how does this work? Where do you go first? He's just like, I don't, you know, just go up and just, I don't know, I'll start here. It's amazing. Relax. Stop taking, hey, stop taking your past too seriously. He died for it. Stop getting in your own way and robbing yourself of joy because you're reliving all of your past mistakes. As far as the east is from the west, he removes your transgressions and does not remember them. So you're bringing up stuff he already forgot. He doesn't, Albert Einstein said, I write stuff down so I don't have to remember it. Guess what? Jesus removed it so he doesn't have to remember it. So you're bringing up stuff he forgot. He's like, I don't even, what are you talking about? I already covered that. The song, your blood speaks a better, a better word. Because we're covered. Stop taking yourself so seriously. Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes, who was a justice in the 1920s, I believe, said this. At one point in my life, I might have entered the ministry if certain clergymen I knew had not looked, at, looked and acted so much like undertakers. <laughs> I don't want none of that. That's sad. But that is what the Christian life looks like without the joy of Jesus. And by the way, you have to subdue it to not have it. God is pleased when you're joyful because he came to provide and produce a joy in you. And your joy is a tremendous witness to other people. In what event made any of this possible to experience the birth of Jesus? See, it's Advent month. We're talking about joy because of the birth of Jesus. Listen to me. There is no joy in the kingdom without the king first coming. The advent or arrival of Jesus in the world brought with it a joy that the world had not but known before. Turn with me if you got your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. If you don't have your Bibles, you're a heretic. Go out to the dove's nest. You can purchase one for $59.99. I'm kidding. Oh, I was just seeing if you take yourself too serious. If you're offended, dbenpastor at aol.com. I emphasize the AOL. That's right. Rick's laughing. Rick's laughing. His, his domain is net zero. I'm kidding. Juno.com. And his phone's on singular wireless. It's like I'm playing. <laughs> Luke chapter 2, verse 6. 
While they were there, the days were completed for her, that's Mary, to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly, see, once again, arrival. uh, When we talk about uh, Advent, Advent literally means the arrival of something. But so many of us, when we read scripture, we think everyone knew it was coming. And I think that's the reality about salvation, especially the joy of salvation. uh, So many of us, we actually have had a joy of salvation experience, but we weren't anticipating to be joyful. But in the advent, in the arrival of being born again, there was a joy we didn't even see coming. And this is no different than the story of Jesus, the birth of Jesus. It goes on. These shepherds are just out in the middle of nowhere. They're not like at 830 an angel's going to appear. Set your timer. They had no idea that it was the moment. What is it? Galatians says that says when the fullness of time came, God sent his son to be a redeemer. They didn't know the fullness of time had come. So it was literally a surprise. It goes on, and the angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said, no wonder. Don't minimize imagining the scripture as you read it, as if you're familiar with angels showing up. They were terrified. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you what? Good news. He could not say that unless the lamb had been slain before the foundation of the world. He said, I bring you good news of great joy, not just any joy, great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there's been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I don't, I don't have time to go into this, but listen, uh, this morning, but every person who experienced the events of Jesus' birth was struck by joy. Let's look at it real quick. Angel said in Luke 2, 10, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. Six examples of people struck by joy surrounding the events of Jesus's birth. We're not going to read all of these, but I just want you to write them down. If you're taking notes, you can't. Number one, the shepherds experience the joy in verse 15 and verse 20 of Luke chapter two. I'm going to read that one just real quick. Luke chapter two, the angel appears to them and announces it, and what is their knee-jerk reaction in verse 15? When the angel had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. Let us go straight, no deviation. When you experience the joy of the kingdom, it will produce a passion in you to run well. They didn't, there was no vacillating. It was like, I gotta go. And so they run and they experience Jesus. They come to his feet. They're marveling at the fact that the angel said it. And when they went, they actually experienced it and saw it. In verse 20, the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as it had been told to them. Joy. Number two, the wise men experienced joy. Matthew chapter two Verses 10 and 11, you can write that down. We're not going to go there. But the the wise men, listen, how far had they traveled? (laughs) You want to talk about faith? (laughs) They had traveled hundreds of miles. What if they got it wrong? Listen, 
How many of you have ever started a house project in the middle of your like, I wish I never started? Amen. How many times did <laughs> Mark? How many times did they vacillate through the desert like this is? Whew, I hope we show up, and this thing is for real. And the reality that they persevered through maybe every time that they wanted to turn back. And when they showed up, they saw the star literally in the sky appear over the place that Jesus was born. It invoked joy. Matthew 2, 10 and 11 says that. Number three, Mary was full of joy. Luke 1, 46 and 47. When the angel appears and disappears, she writes a song on the spot. How many of you have ever been just joyous, flooded your soul, and you're like, I'm about to write a song real quick? <laughs> Mary literally writes a song on the spot because of the reality that she was chosen by God to carry this child. Number, th number four, Elizabeth, Mary's cousin, upon the arrival of Mary to her hometown, Luke 1, 41 through 44, it said that the baby inside of her leapt in her womb. That, is, that means that baby was in the womb dancing because Mary showed up. How crazy. If you don't believe in a spiritual reality, how in the world does a baby skip and leap and jump in a womb because someone just shows up? That's crazy. But it was joy. It was joy. Number five, I love this one. Simeon at the dedication of Jesus in Luke chapter 2, 25 through 32. Every single day he would pray in his old age, God, let me experience the consolation of Israel. Let me see the Redeemer. And Mary shows up and dedicates the child. And he says, I can't believe, I can't believe that I've been able to see the Messiah. Amen. Joy. And lastly, Joy in heaven! 13 and 14. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, listen, I hope an angel would just show up in the room. But you have to understand the magnitude of the joy that heaven can no longer not penetrate into the, the seen realm. The angel announces, and it says, and suddenly breaking through that thin line between the spirit realm and the natural realm, you see an entire chorus of angels magnifying and glorying the Lord. I mean, how many times were those angels, they were lined up probably, they were like in three rows in the sky, right? Tears. And how many times were they looking at the angel like, are you done with the announcement yet? Are you a death? And they just started singing because all of heaven was full of joy right. that the Savior had finally come. How many years had heaven looked over the balcony down upon a fallen world that was, that was broken and painful and sadness and de desperation and depression and all of these things and they were anticipating, is it time yet? Will he come yet? We need to see him redeem these people. They could not help but hold back and break through that, that, that barrier into the seen realm to announce and proclaim the joy of the Lord. Amen. None of these people manufactured joy or conjured it up. Every one of them experienced joy organically in reaction to encountering Jesus because there is no kingdom joy without the king first coming. The birth of Jesus was like an Oprah 
Christmas giveaway. You get joy. You get joy. You get joy. Just joy. We had a Thanksgiving feast the other day, and I brought in candy, and I was just, you get some candy. Because there's nothing funnier than teenagers like fighting each other over some nerds on a rope. I love it. It's like, how desperate are you? But it was an Oprah Christmas giveaway. Everybody gets everything that I have to offer through the person of Jesus. If I could invite the worship team forward. Now, I want to just take a couple of moments as we invite them forward. And I, I am not afraid to admit that probably in the room there are people that are like, um, I don't have any joy. And so what I want to do just for a moment is I want to talk to the people in the room that would say, what do we do if we have the joy of the Lord, but we lost it? Because I don't want to be that guy that's like, just be happy. <laughs> Let me give you a couple of just practical applications that if you don't have that joy, how to get it back. Number one, go back to thinking the way you did when you first got saved. Bible talks about, in Romans 12, it talks about be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's a, there's a power in the renewing of your mind. That's why we need scripture. Literally everything in scripture, as we read it, it is undoing something that is natural, that is a lie, that is false, that is not the reality of the inheritance we have in Christ. Go back to the way that you thought when you first got saved. I don't know about you, but when I first got saved, it was the most joyful time in my life. And here's why, and this is why it's so good. Because when you first got saved, you are so thinking about the goodness of God, you're not even thinking about yourself. What won't cultivate joy is when you think about yourself. When you think about your errors, your inadequacies, your failures, your setbacks, your mistakes, all of that will not cultivate joy in you. But the beauty of salvation is that the reason why you have joy is you are so consumed by what Jesus has done, it naturally cultivates joy in you. And I love David because he reminds us that there are moments in our lives that we can actually lose the joy we first had. In, insert Psalm 51. David messes up, ruins his, his kingship to a, to, a, to a degree, commits adultery with Bathsheba, sends her husband to the front line to have him killed to cover everything up, and he is in this moment, he's so down. But what does he say? This is so good. He says in Psalm 51, he says, restore to me what? The joy of what? It's not my. It's not. Your salvation. Because David knew he didn't save himself. There's not joy in you saving you. There's joy in him saving you. And he said, I need the joy of your salvation 
because I didn't save myself. I didn't redeem myself. The reason why you can get joy at the beginning is because you didn't save yourself. He saved you and there can be a restoration of the joy of his salvation in your life when you turn your focus away from yourself and onto the Savior. Go back to the way that you thought when you first got saved. Number two, read God's word until you sense him speaking to you, not just cross it off your to-do list. John 15, 11, Jesus said this. He said, these words I have spoken to you so that your joy may be complete. There's a difference between just reading the Bible and God speaking through the word. I cannot tell you when I was a teenager, I would read my Bible and it wasn't every time, but I can tell you the times where I heard him speak, I felt him speak, I got the impression, I had the Mark Berkler, random thoughts coming across my mind in the middle of it and I recognized that it was God and it was like, Jeremiah, your word is like a fire, shut up in my bones, indeed I cannot hold it in. It would be 8 p.m. and I would just start calling people. I have to tell somebody because this is too much. I was so full of joy and excitement and passion that my joy had been complete by him speaking to me, I had to tell somebody. Just like Buddy the Elf looks at the person he doesn't even know and he's like, I know him. When you have the joy of the Lord, you'll just start telling people randomly because you can't hold it in. The joy of the Lord to contain it yourself is too much for you to handle. That's why people in the middle of worship, they start doing crazy stuff, right? You ever been a part of a Pentecostal church? People start running laps. That's, they ain't faking it. It's because they got too much joy. I got to expend this somehow. I can't contain it. It's a word. It's like a fire shut up in my bones. Read God's word until you sense him speaking to you. And if he don't speak to you that day, that's fine. But don't stop because he didn't speak to you one time. Because it's just like golf. You hit one good drive, you could have a terrible round, but you'll be back. Wait till, get, just get that one time where God speaks to you in his word and you'll be back. But don't stop when you're not hearing him. You're not sensing him. You're not getting the impression. Number three, praise and worship God till you feel his presence and then stay there. Immerse yourself in the presence of God. Can I tell you, earlier this week, I, didn't, I knew I was talking about Advent joy and I had none of it. I was Scrooge in life, Grinch stole Christmas. I was dragging my feet on setting up Christmas lights in the house, so the whole thing didn't have joy until I got into his presence and I stayed there. And whew, I started getting excited because it just invokes it. Psalm 16, 11, David says, in his presence is fullness of joy. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. What, that word rejoice, this is what I see. I see re, which is return, and I see joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Paul was writing that from prison, was he not? And he was like, let me give you a clue on how I can have joy in prison. I return to joy by rejoicing. Because in his presence, 
As you draw near to him, he draws near to you. And in his presence is a full measure of joy that will overflow to you as you return to joy by rejoicing. If you've lost your joy, there's a joy available to you when you turn to Jesus because Jesus brought the joy of the kingdom with him when he entered into the world. Will you stand with me? And then we're going to go into, into the word or into the song. Last thing. Jesus said this in Matthew 13, 44. How can I describe to you what the kingdom of heaven is like. He said this. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again, and from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. That is the joy of salvation. It is a joy that is unique and different and once again, when you have joy in Jesus, you will have it joy in everything else in your life. So as we transition, let's rejoice in the Lord and sing joy to the world. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.